Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. It is great to have you with us, along with Chris Dorch of Blue Ribbon. I'm Kevin Ingram, and it is Final Four week. The teams are all set, and they will be ready to go this weekend up in Indianapolis. And by this time next week, we will have a new national champion in college basketball. Coming up on this week's show, we're going to have ESPN College Basketball Insider Jeff Borzello. He will join us in just a little bit as well. Chris, how's it going? It's going pretty well. Uh, I'm doing better than my bracket. <laughs> I did manage to predict that Gonzaga and Baylor would get in there, and I, I think now that that'll probably be our national title game. But wow, it's been great, and you know some of the drama that we've seen, and I just, I, I've known from day one when we published Blue Ribbon and we we picked Gonzaga, a preseason number one, despite the the, the fact that they'd lost uh, Petrujev, the big man, in July. We still like them, and I didn't know how much I liked them until last night hmm. when I was watching, and it occurred to me what makes this team and Mark Few and his program so great, and it's this. They don't get rattled. They don't get in a hurry. They play fast, mm-hmm. but they don't make hasty decisions. It's like Coach Wooden said, be quick, but don't hurry. And it's amazing how they play fast and and are in constant motion. But sometimes fast implies helter-skelter. These guys aren't that. They let the game come to them as quickly as possible. And they've just got some guys that can score. Uh, Their cutting is precise. Their passing is unbelievable and unselfish. Uh, it's a great basketball. And the other thing they showed us against USC is, is anybody thinks they don't guard at an elite level, which I've heard people suggest that is absurd because, uh, you know, they're in top 10 in, in, in Ken Palm's defense, defensive efficiency. So yeah, just the realization that, been a lot, a ton of good players run through Gonzaga in Mark Few's 22 years, and he's got an 80% winning percentage, which is ridiculous. I don't care what league you're in, but the, the realization of just what it is that makes them go, it finally occurred to me, I think, last night and maybe the game before. They're just, in their speed, they're still – uh, there's still precision sure and that's so impressive to watch yeah it's amazing I mean they've been a machine all season long their offense is so hard to stop and their defense as you described a minute ago is uh, probably a whole lot better than uh, a lot of people think but uh, just a, a great team and a great story for that school and that program and me think uh, a little over 20 years ago they hadn't really started on this run that we've seen that's had them with on the doorstep of winning a championship. They got to the final a few years ago and lost to North Carolina, but now they have a real chance to win it all for the first time. Uh, as far as UCLA goes, their regional final with Michigan, it was ugly. I was looking at the box score. There's some bad numbers in there, but the Bruins have somehow survived in advance by taking out the top two seeds in the East region. You know What stood out about this run under Mick Cronin uh, to take them to their first Final Four in more than a decade, going back to the days when Ben Howland was coached there? You know, I'm a basketball purist as much as anybody. I love looking at the box score. And, and I've even – an old dog has been taught tricks with <laughs> yeah. 10 pounds, metrics and all. But 
I throw away the when I look at UCLA, and I thought that game last night was beautiful, man, uh, because what it what it was was a team that, you know, by all metrics and on paper was outmatched, and they're being coached by this five foot five Irish bald Irish guy, uh, looks like the last uh, guy you'd expect to be coaching a team, but he's as intense as they come. And his team has uh, adopted those qualities. And they did it with defense and just scoring enough. I just got done writing a piece about Johnny Juzang. And, you know, he left Kentucky after one year. He really, you know, he he skipped his final year of high school. He was there basically as a senior in high school trying to compete at Kentucky. He played 12 minutes a game, scored three points a game, wanted to come home. And uh, he knew that Coach Cronin was, was going to be hard on him and was going to change his game. And he, and he was okay with that. He wanted to be held accountable. And he said he wanted to be in a program where everybody was held accountable. And Mick Cronin has done that. He has held everybody accountable. Uh, if anybody thinks he's just defensive-minded, they're wrong because he took Johnny Juzang's game and shaped it. Everybody thought he was a jump shooter. He realized that, that, that Juzang is a scorer, not a shooter, and encouraged him to be more prudent with his shot selection, to work the mid-range, to get to the rack. And now, you know, Juzang's averaged 21 points, and last night put them on their back. Yep. He had 28 of their 51. That's 55% of UCLA's points. So, you know, to see a story like that, a kid transfer to go home, it's just awesome. And, you know, if, if I could re- – revert to to Gonzaga one more time. The reason Mark Few, as you alluded, uh, from his early days to now has gotten it done is because of rarity. He's a unicorn. He's a guy that loves it where he is and, and stayed there and resisted all these overtures to go to bigger programs, knew he had it made, knew his family was where he wanted it to be, and has stayed there and built a program. And now you've got five-star kids wanting to come there. Uh, they'll reload next year, especially if Chet Holmgren, which I'm going to ask Jeff Brzezello about, decides to come to, to Gonzaga. But, yeah, just staying around. And, and both Few and, and, and Mick Cronin, they hold their kids accountable, but yet their kids love them. That's an art that only the best coaches have. Yeah, UCLA, uh, the 11 seed, and Gonzaga, the number one seed overall, now 30-0, and 0, and they'll play around 7.30 Central time on Saturday. That will actually be the second game of the Final Four. The first one will have an all-Texas matchup. Chris will have Houston against Baylor. Uh, Houston, the two seed. Baylor, the number one seed. We might have a collision course of those uh, number one seeds, Gonzaga and Baylor, to play on Monday night. But, you know, when you look for you look at Baylor and Scott Drew, you know, the program has been really good for quite a while, but never quite able to take that big step. They've gotten to the regional final, but now in the final four. What, what kind of a breakthrough is that for that program? I think it's a huge breakthrough. And, again, another great story, just from the, the – the standpoint that Scott drew in 2003 took a scorched earth program that was scandal ridden. I've never heard of, of, you know, the the death of a player and, and cover-ups. It was a mess. And people tried to tell him, you know, he was at Valpo and had it made. People tried to talk him out of it, but for whatever reason, he saw the good in that program and thought he could make a difference. And uh, again, he's a guy who has stayed the course and, 
and been there long enough to build it. And I think it was a great step. Um, you know, he's built it maybe a little differently than, than, than uh, Coach Few has, but nonetheless, uh, it's, it's at a high level. Chris, as far as Houston goes, how interesting is it that Kelvin Sampson has them in the Final Four not too far down the road from where he ran afoul of the NCAA while in Indiana a few years back? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, you know, again, this tournament uh, produces such great storylines. Some of them seem, you know, staged, uh, although the committee denies it. And, and <laughs> you and I know better. <laughs> happenstance like UCLA uh, starting the first four at Mackey Arena where a statue of the great John Wooden in his playing days as a boilermaker was outside I swear the old coach must have sprinkled some magic dust on the Bruins (laughs) but stuff like that is is crazy but Houston is a team that people could sleep on easily because they're a blue-collar bunch that's one of the best defensive teams in the country a but b they're a team that you might say their best offense is putting up a shot and go getting it. Yeah. Uh, they're number two in the country in offensive rebound percentage. Uh, they gang rebound the offensive boards and work them like nobody I've seen in recent memories. So uh, Kelvin Sampson puts it like this. We're not a one shot team. <laughs> so, and then they've got guys, hard scrabble guys that have been around that have transferred uh, and, and make for great stories. And uh, I think uh, Coach Sampson has had a, a tough time, uh, like his point guard, Dejon Giroux, uh, might have been a little balky at first, a little resistant to how things were, but he has bought in. Uh, and, man, he's a triple-double waiting to happen. And, and, and they've got Quentin Grimes and Moody and just a bunch of good players that, that are tough and hard-nosed just like Samson. As far as teams that came up short, let's talk about the SEC for a moment as we're right in the middle of SEC country here. Arkansas and Alabama both made it to the regional weekend. Arkansas came up one win short. Alabama was uh, knocked off by UCLA after Alex Reese hit that dramatic three to send it to overtime. UCLA had the upper hand in the extra five minutes, but they had great seasons. And it seems like for these two programs, it's going to be more than a one-year thing with good coaches like Eric Musselman and Nate Oates. I think so, too. Uh, you know, obviously, there's going to be roster retooling for both of them. But that's nothing new uh, with Eric Musselman. He works the transfer uh, portal like a major league general manager works the, the waiver wire. And he's always getting transfers in. And now they're starting to get the best freshmen uh, in, in their home state of Arkansas, which produced Marcus Moody and Devo Davis for them this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple of others. And, and so I think they'll keep that train rolling as long as Coach Musselman, who's a West Coast guy at heart, as long as he chooses to stay around. Uh, I think Nate Oates, on the other hand, may stay around. I think he loves it there. I don't think he's intimidated by being at a football school, especially one so ultra successful as as Alabama has been under Coach Saban. And uh you know, he's going to get some money thrown at him. It probably already has by Indiana, but, uh, you know, he resisted it and I think he'll stay around and I think he'll be able to, he's already signed one of the best high school point guards in the country. So, you know, there'll be some guys leave, uh, but who knows, maybe mm-hmm. Herb Jones and John Petty, they could both come back if they want to. And maybe if they don't see a, 
an opportunity to get drafted in the first round. Maybe they'll do just that, and Alabama will be just as good as it was this year. A couple more SEC teams to talk about. We're going to have our guest Jeff Borzello join us uh, in just a moment. Tennessee's Jaden Springer is going to enter the NBA draft. They've had a couple guys say they're transferring also. How different could Rick Barnes' team look next season? And also, Kentucky's added Kellen Grady, who's a terrific player from Davidson. And could they do a decent rebuild, uh, adding some transfer pieces uh, here in this offseason? I think so. Of course, I thought so this year. I thought they had signed some nice transfer additions and, and would give them the experience. But, you know, Kentucky just got off on the wrong foot and, and never really recovered. Uh, but I think Kellen Grady is, is a good get. He, uh, you know, he's not the second coming of Stephen Curry, but he, he has a similar game, and, yeah. and I think he'll he'll play well at Kentucky. Tennessee, you know, I think they knew Jaden Springer and, and eventually Keon Johnson uh, were going to be one-and-done guys. They were okay with that. And they probably knew that a couple of players, Drew Pember is one, Devontae Gaines is another, were going to enter the transfer portal. I think Tennessee will, will like so many others, uh, try to go to that portal and, and add maybe a rim protector and another shooter, and then but never lose sight of uh, signing freshmen and, and doing what Rick Barnes does so well, and that's develop freshmen. Chris, our guest has arrived. He is Jeff Borzello, ESPN's college basketball insider. Uh, he is holed up in Indianapolis where the uh, tournament's been going on over these last couple of weeks. Jeff, what's going on? I'm just just happy to be here, man. I'm just, uh, my first live game of the season in person was was the Sweet 16 game, so I'm excited. What's it been uh, like? What's that experience been like? Just to be there with uh, you know all, all the teams, kind of in that one central location. Yeah, it's it's different. I mean, usually when I you know go to the Final Four in the NCAA tournament, it's a lot of um, you know mingling and seeing coaches and agents and things like that. And there's none of that this year. I mean, there's just I mean you know there's no coaches hotel. Coaches aren't here. There's very few kind of decision makers and things like that milling about Indianapolis. So it's a completely different vibe, but you know, I don't think I'll ever have a chance again to go from one end of Lucas oil stadium to the other and see two different games in the same night. So from that perspective, it's been pretty cool. It, it, it has been a, a different situation. We were just talking about Gonzaga before you came on. And I don't know the last two games, Jeff has convinced me what they do best. They just, in their speed, they they still don't get in a hurry. They they just always have a sense of purpose, and I've just been so impressed. What what is your opinion of Gonzaga after the way they dispatched USC, which had really been eating up people defensively? Uh, what do you think about the Zags now? I think they're, they're the best team I've ever seen in person. Um... And, you know, I'm, I'm only 34, so I, I didn't see UNLV in the early 90s or anything, or, or 96 Kentucky or anything like that. But um, they're just at all five spots, one through five, when they have that kind of that, that quote unquote death lineup out there, there's just there's no weaknesses. And like you said, I mean, they have two guards and them Hardy, Breeland, and Suggs who they just they always control the pace. You know, Suggs is just on another planet. I mean, he's just he's unbelievable. Um, he's just a special, special player. Nemhard is kind of bought into this role of being the the kind of the fifth guy in the starting lineup. Um, they're so unselfish. They all could pass. Um, you know, USC had this, you know, the best two-point defense in the country. They had Evan Mobley, the best interior defender in the country. And Drew Timmy not only kind of dominated Mobley, but they got they played in transition so much that it didn't matter how much size and length and athleticism USC had. They were just never back to defend. Um, and, you know, 
it's just I find it hard to come up with a team that can kind of match. I mean, Baylor has been kind of the one team since November that everyone wants to see play them. But, I mean, right now I, I don't see – I mean, Drew Timmy I think would just – would eat up whatever big man Baylor's playing at the five. I, I just I – don't, I don't see a weakness for them, and, and I just – you know, I think they're like a special, special generational type team. We're visiting with Jeff Orzello, the ESPN College Basketball Insider. And, you know, Jeff, to look at that Houston-Baylor matchup, sort of an old-school Texas matchup, how do you see that one? Yeah, I think it's. I think Houston's kind of interesting. I mean, people just, for whatever reason, they're still not really taking them seriously. And it's because, oh, you know, they beat double-digit seeds in, in every single round. That's not their fault. Um, you know, they, they beat who was put in front of them. And this is a team that, all season kind of played the same way. I mean, they just out physical guys, out tough teams, crash the offensive glass. They really defend just elite coaching. Um, and so I, I don't, I don't I mean, you know, the, the metrics love them, you know, I, I, Baylor is not, not as nearly as big a favorite as Gonzaga is over UCLA. So I think that's going to be a pretty interesting game. I think Houston's going to have to shoot the ball a little bit better than they did uh, against Oregon state. I mean, they just dominated the offensive glass and, um, I don't know if they'll do that as well against Baylor. So, you know, it's going to have to come down to Quentin Grimes, DeJon Giroux, Marcus Sasser, guys that can make some shots. But, you know, I, I, I am intrigued by that one. I think it's it's going to be closer than a lot of people think. Jeff, the other trend that, that uh, has been sneaking up on us while the games have been going on, the last I checked, the NCAA's transfer portal had over 1,200 names in it. And I've always enjoyed – and I wanted to ask you how you hit on this idea of ranking transfers. You do a really good job of ranking what well, used to be sit-out transfers and immediate eligibility, and now it's probably yeah. all immediate eligibility. But can you talk about the, the, the boom in, in the portal and, and kind of how you hit on that idea of trying to rank transfers? It's going to be hard this year, isn't it? It's, it's really hard. I mean, I, I, I you know – I started covering, I guess, quote unquote, covering transfers when there's a few guys left that I, cause, you know, I started as a recruiting writer at ESPN. And so I had all these kind of guys' phone numbers and stuff like that from when I covered them in high school. And a couple of those, those guys left after a year or two. And I was like, all right, let me kind of text them and, and see if I can cover it like recruiting. <laughs> and that, that was when there was like 50 relevant transfers. And now there's, you know, like you said, there's 1,200 names in the portal. And I think about 500 or 600 of them were either high major transfers or double double figure scores at the mid major level. So there's a ton of like relevant guys. Um, it's 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 getting really hard. I mean, you know, if I if I miss a day in the portal, that's 60 65 names that <laughs> that I miss. And it's, it's just you know, one day of transfers is more than what the entire market used to be 7 8 years ago. Um, it's 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 just remarkable. And and it's I mean, this year I think is a little bit of an outlier just because of Every every player gets an extra year, um, but the immediate eligibility thing is going to make this a kind of a trend moving forward. You know, I think there's probably going to be 17-ish hundred names this year in the portal, and, and I think that's kind of going to maybe be the benchmark moving forward. It's going to be almost impossible to kind of project what each roster is going to be like, especially at the mid-major level, because you know I, I've had co- mid-major coaches tell me like I'm I'm not going to recruit high school kids anymore. You know why 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 try to beat out you know if I'm at I don't know, Georgia Southern. Why am I going to try to recruit a kid that Vanderbilt's recruiting when if he has a great year, he's going to go there anyway? Why not go recruit the guy averaging three points a game at Georgia when he leaves after his freshman year and he comes to, he wants to drop down a level? So it's just transformed the entire roster building, uh, roster building, uh, you know, trend. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it's going to flip the entire college basketball landscape on its head. Jeff, do you You think about, sorry. 
I mean, one thing I noticed, a lot of mid-majors when I was editing Blue Ribbon this fall are starting to recruit D2 kids yep. and AI kids. So that's kind of going to be the backlash, I guess. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of kids. I mean, Parker Fox is one of them um, from Northern State in Minnesota. And he's, you know, I've, I've had you know, a handful of, of Power 5 coaches call me about him. And that's, you know, there's been a, a few over the past few years. I think Belmont had one this year. And there's been a few really good D2 guys that have come to the D1 level and contributed on really good teams. And um, I think coaches are starting to notice that, hey, if you can average, you know, 18, 19 a game at the D2 level, you can contribute at a high, high level in D1. Yeah, Luke Smith was a terrific player for Belmont this season. Do you think uh, it's more about the, the freedom of movement for players or guys unhappy with their situations? When you look at you know all these guys as you described pouring into the, the transfer portal every single day, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, a lot of guys they want the, the two things you hear the most are that you know maybe they didn't have a great relationship with the coach, or you know I want to expand my game, I want to show my full potential. Um, at a different spot, whether, you know, it's a high major kid saying I'm going to drop down a level so I can get 15, 18 shots a game, or it's a mid major kid saying, Hey, I want to test myself against the best of the best. But it's, you know, I I was talking to one coach last night and and he said, it's, it's kind of like when you're playing a video game, you know, FIFA or Madden and and you get down 21 to three in the first quarter, you don't try to win the game. You pull the plug and you start again. (laughs) Um, And so he, you know, that, that's, I think that's the case in a lot of these is that, you know, it's a guy didn't play a ton in his freshman year, and he says, you know, the same guys are coming back or they're bringing in a freshman. I might not get a big, bigger role. I'm just going to leave and go find somewhere else. Um, I'm not opposed to the to the immediate eligibility and the, and the freedom of movement. I think kids should be able to go where they want. Um, but it, it is uh, it's becoming more prevalent. Guys that are just saying, hey, I don't play a, I don't play enough freshman year. I'm out. Jeff, the other thing that you a close eye on is the coaching carousel who's made good hires so far and what else can we expect at some of the other openings yeah i mean the hire that stands out to me is utah utah hiring utah state's craig smith i just think he's a terrific coach um you know he was a name that was linked a little bit at minnesota and and you know marquette if shaka smart didn't take it he you know he'd been connected to a lot of good jobs uh, over the past couple of years, he had a lot of success at, at, at South Dakota and then Utah State. Um, so I think that's going to be a, a really good hire for them. Um, you know, they, they kind of t- took a couple of swings at NBA guys that played for Utah. Um, but to me, I mean, Craig Smith, he's I think he's won 20 around 20 games four or five years in a row. Utah State didn't go dancing for seven years, I think, before he took over. And then he would have been three for three if not for the pandemic last year. So I just think he's a terrific coach and that's going to be a good hire. Uh, Indiana is going to be one that that has a lot of eyeballs on it for for obvious obvious reasons. I mean, it's one of the most historical programs in in the sport. But you know, Mike Woodson, he's going to face questions. He faces a lot of the same questions that most of these NBA NBA guys face when coming to college. And he had been a name that had been buzzing around that job since it opened. And and the talk was Indiana saw what Jawan Howard did at Michigan and said, "Hey, let's try to replicate that in Indiana." Now there are. You know, real big differences between Mike Woodson and Juwan Howard. I mean, Juwan Howard is like 15 years younger. He was part of a cultural movement in the early nineties. He's like a, he's an icon um, <laughs> to a lot of people. I mean, he's, he's really connected in, in the recruiting space because of his kids. Um, so there's just a, a, some huge differences. And he's been a little bit of an outlier in terms of NBA guys coming back to college, coming to college. I mean, Penny Hardaway hasn't worked out. Chris Mullen didn't really work out. Patrick Ewing. I know they made the tournament this year, but they were nine and 12. 
before the tournament. So that really hasn't worked out either. So there's just so many examples of guys that have struggled that have never coached in college before. And so I think Mike Woodson does face a little bit of an uphill battle. I don't question his um, basketball acumen. I mean, he was a successful NBA coach at two franchises, not exactly known for, for winning. Um, so, you know, I, I think from a basketball standpoint, he's not going to have much of an issue. He's going to have to hire really good staff that could get him players. Um, Cause that's going to be the key. Um, and then moving forward, I mean, I, all eyes are on Texas. Um, you know, Chris Beard's buyout drops April 1st to, to 4 million to go to another big 12 school. I think that, um, he's going to be their top target. And, uh, you know, I assume he says yes, but if he says no, who knows where they go? Um, and then Oklahoma, that's a top 25 job in the country. It's not really getting a ton of attention right now, partially because there's games going on, partially because yeah. Texas is open, but that's a really good job. And, and there's going to be high major coaches um, involved in that one that, that might surprise people. In Chris Beard's case, I mean, he's already built a winner at Texas Tech. Uh, is it one of those things where, yeah, Texas sounds good, but, man, I've got it going – pretty well right here and maybe i'm better off staying put than going somewhere where there's going to, going to be a whole lot more pressure on me yeah i mean he, he kind of fits texas tech perfectly um you know west texas kind of a little bit more gritty they play they play a, a physical tough style uh, the fan base loves him um and again he makes like five million dollars a year there yeah. you know it's it's it texas is going to have to kind of come up with a lot of money um to get him to move to austin and and you know he he went to texas he started his coaching career there as a, as a student assistant under tom pender so there's there's a lot pulling him there but i don't think it's it's a um as easy a decision as some people think going from texas tech to texas because he he is pretty entrenched there uh, at texas tech and i think he's a really really good fit where he is but again texas it's a the top 10 job in the country that's gonna be tough to turn down why did Shaka not work there? Like I, when he, when they made that hire, I thought, man, th- this is their path to win a national championship or at least to you know be a regular entrant in the Final Four. Why didn't that one work? He got the players. I mean, that was that was never the issue. I mean, he he continued to get top hundred kids throughout. I think one of the things was that when he was at VCU, a lot of his success came from getting guys that had a chip on their shoulder, some second chance guys mm-hmm. that that were really going to buy in. Um, to the system that they played. And, and at Texas, he had to eat. I mean, you couldn't really get those guys. Texas wants five-star kids. They want top 50 kids. And that's who he got. And, you know, I think some of the early struggles or the, or the, the struggles over the past three years he had, um, I just think that kind of – that pretty much ended things. I mean, I, I had somebody say, you know, it's hard to win back a fan base that you've already lost. And he, and he lost them a couple of years ago. And, and, you know, even the Big 12 tournament title this year, you knew that whenever it turned bad again – it was over and it turned bad a week later uh, when they lost to Abilene Christian. It's, and so I, you know, I think he would have, if he didn't get fired this year, he would have gone into next year on the hottest of hot seats. And so I think he said, you know what, I'm, I'm starting fresh. I think maybe, you know, five or six year deal at Marquette. That's a really good job with a ton of money. That's a place where he could probably get more of his type of kid um, into the program. So, you know, I, I think for, for both Texas and Shaka smart, it was probably a, a good time to part ways. Jeff, before we let you go, give us a, a quick prediction for Saturday and maybe a, a national champion. You know, from from day one, I've said Gonzaga over Baylor in the title game, and, and nothing I've seen so far uh, makes me think otherwise. Baylor looks like they're back to how they were playing pre-pause, but I don't. I still don't think that's good enough to beat Gonzaga. I think Gonzaga is just a special, special team, and I think they're going to go finish thirty-two and zero when if if they beat Baylor on Monday night. Agreed, good sir. <laughs> Jeff, really appreciate the time. A great insight into all of this, and I hope we can catch up with you again down the road. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Take care. 
Well, that was Jeff Borzello, ESPN College Basketball Insider. Boy, Chris, you can ask that dude anything. I mean, whether it's about the Final Four or the transfer portal or the coaching carousel, man, we covered a lot of ground in that interview. Yeah, Jeff Borzello has, has become the man there. Uh, I mean, after Andy Katz left and Jeff Goodman, they really needed a good guy that, that had his finger on the pulse. And, and Jeff, who I'm proud to say is a Blue Ribbon alum, rode for us until he really got entrenched there at ESPN. And and so uh, I knew what they were getting in him. Mm-hmm. He knows his ball, loves ball. He's one of the uh, best and brightest young basketball writers in the country. So he's part of like your coaching tree or, or writing tree, right? You, you could say that. I mean, we, we've got uh, – if you look over the years at the, the caliber of writing that we've had and, and continue to have um, – when we launched this newsletter, I knew that we could do it because I have an army of dudes and, and I've recruited them over the years to write for me. You know, you, you, you gotta be able to write. Obviously it helps if you can meet headline, but if you're a great writer, I'll let you slide a little bit. <laughs> but the one thing that is intractable, you gotta love ball. And uh, we've got a good crew and have had a good crew. I mean, people like Mike DeCourcy have written for us, Andy Katz, over the years, uh, we, we've had a ton of, of people that that have just really gone on to great things in in this crazy profession of ours. And Chris has nobody in the transfer portal right now, and that, that's a that's a good thing you can report. Nobody is in the as as we speak. Uh, we're hoping <laughs> to have quality transfers uh, and a and a promising uh, freshman or two. Uh, I'm mentoring a a kid from Syracuse. I'm going to give him a shout out, Danny Emmerman. Yeah. He writes Daily Orange there, and uh, he's he's going to be uh, one of a, the U.S. basketball writers has a mentorship program, and I was happy to jump on board with that because I teach anyway. And they they hooked me up with Danny. They just thought it was a good fit, and it really is. He loves ball, and, and uh, so there's a guy I'm I'm going to recruit. He's uh, he's top five, uh, no question. Yeah, he needs to sign with Dorch. Uh, Chris is the best, man, when it comes to writing, to teaching people how to write, and uh, anything associated with college basketball. He, he knows them all. So uh, always a lot of fun to do our podcast, uh, Chris. Looking forward to the Final Four, and uh, we'll have a, have a national champion to talk about when we do our show this time next week. Yep, we sure will. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. We will talk to you next time. This is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast.